0: Hello, my friends, you are listening to Grit and Grace. My name is Taverly and I am your host. I'm here to share my entrepreneurial journey with you and we'll be bringing on some amazing women who've been helping me, mentoring me and inspiring me on how Grit and Grace helps them crush it in business, relationships, fitness, family, friends, and all that good stuff. Now let's get started. Hello, my friends, and welcome back to Grit and Grace. As always, I have the opportunity to speak to an amazing entrepreneur, Rachel Downey, who's with me today. Thank you for coming, Rachel. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I Part of the reason why I wanted to bring you on my show is because you have this background of starting a business at such a young age, because a lot of us think about starting our businesses like once we've had a career, or we've worked in a certain field for a long period of time, and we sort of get the benefit. Of living and dying by our own sword, <laughs> yeah. But you started that way with that kind of mindset, and I know that you were what twenty-five when you started your business. I was, yeah, yeah. So give us, so give us the the shortened version on your business and how you started at twenty-five.
1: Sure. Uh, well, I would definitely say I was always an entrepreneur. Uh, I was a kid in the neighborhood running the lemonade stands and magic shows and all of that. Uh, But when I was 25, I had this really unique opportunity where two gentlemen who were both about the age of 50 at the time asked me if I would start my own company. They saw Mm. some raw talent and that I just had what it took, and I knew I wanted to have my own business someday. So when they put the offer out there, I said, sure, it'll be fun for five years. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, you know, I was 25 at the time, and... Uh, It was like having these two angel investors that I couldn't have even dreamed of asking for, and they gave me space, they gave me health insurance, they fed Mm -hmm. me clients, and uh, before you knew it, I had a successful business, so I bought those two men out in about two years uh, with the profits made from the company. And have been on my own ever since. Wow! So, when did you reach? This is going. to... I'm going to dive right in. Okay. So, yeah. Like, when did you?
0: I know you sold it. You you or you've made millions of dollars in your business. But when did you hit that million dollar mark? And I, I know that for me, that million dollar mark actually isn't isn't a, an end target. But for a lot of people, it feels like so much. Oh, so it's a huge so milestone. at the point when you
1: hit that milestone. When was that? So that that was about 2011. Okay. Um, uh, maybe 2012. I had been operating my business really casually. It was more of kind of a side gig and mm. um, a way to have income and express my creative, you know, self. Yeah. Um, and around 2011, I realized that I had the potential for more. My son was older. I was ready to take it to the next level. Uh, that's the time I joined Entrepreneurs Organization. And I was in the accelerator program, which is for the sub million businesses. And that very year, I grew my business thirty three percent and hit that milestone.
0: Yeah, amazing. So you got you, the fire stayed lit for you, all, like during that whole period. Though it never, or did it ever waver?
1: Oh, it wavered a lot. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about that.
0: Because here's the thing: is that I know that for women, one of our um, one of our most difficult challenges is having the confidence that we're worthy. And I'm reading a book. Have you heard of the Confidence Code?
1: I haven't. Okay,
0: you should go read the confidence code. It's good. I'm reading it with a couple of girlfriends. We're, we have our own like little posse of book Ooh, readers together and then we'll I'll talk join. about it. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so, read read the book and it really is so ingrained in us to not always feel really confident. And you know, I'm am a fairly confident person in in most instances, but there are so many times when it comes to business where we lack that like That that fire to still burn. We just let it get snuffed out. And it could be because, oh my gosh, in your case and in my case, I still have to be a mom. Like it doesn't, it doesn't go away. And well, what do you mean you want me to cook dinner? I have 12 hours of work to get done between 4 p.m. and midnight. Like who you go cook dinner, right? It's (laughs) it's this unusual balance of all the things that we try to accomplish. And it can it can be very daunting and exhausting. And when you add in that lack of confidence you know, we all have challenges. Oh yeah. So people could see you and say, Oh my gosh, look at what she built. It's amazing.
1: Yeah. Right. <laughs> but but
0: I know what goes on behind the scenes. So, you know, talk to me a little bit about when you started, what were some of the most difficult challenges you faced other than the fact that you were 25? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a challenge in itself.
1: Well, you know, starting out because I hadn't had a lot of experience, I got to chart my own course. So that came with the good, the bad, the ugly. Um, But I wouldn't take back any of it because I loved figuring it out on my own journey. Uh, But I will say over the 21 years I've owned that business, the hardest times were the ones where I felt lost. Mm. And I felt lost and I felt alone and I didn't have anyone to turn to and my friends weren't entrepreneurs. Mm. And I had to really figure out... Where was I taking this business and how do I do this all on my own? Um, And it's part of how I got to where I am today. And again, I don't regret any part of that journey because what I do now is help those very same entrepreneurs that feel a little bit lost in their own journeys Mm -hmm. to find their way back onto their authentic path. But absolutely, those were the hardest times was when I really didn't know what I was doing and I had to figure it out. Yeah. Because, and you can help others with that because you've been there. I've been there. You, you know what that's like. <laughs> I
0: mean, and maybe, maybe in your case, it was harder because you didn't have sort of a level of expertise to lean back on. I mean, for me in my field, I knew my stuff, like in my niche and what I've done with, with nonprofits and community partnerships. I know that stuff, like it's ingrained in me, but the business side was really hard, but you had both to learn as you grew. So you grew up running a business. I mean, that's yeah. all you knew.
1: Yeah. So what's interesting is, you know, I started the business because I love the craft. Which so, was, okay. So we haven't so, talked about that. Which yeah, let's the get craft? there. Let's the talk about it. Uh, so, so my company is called Guide Studio. It's still based in Cleveland, Ohio. And it's specialized in wayfinding, branding, and marketing for places with people traffic. Oh. Uh, so for those of you who don't know what wayfinding is. I was just going to ask. It's designing uh, sign systems to help people navigate complex built environments. So cities are our biggest... Uh, uh, market. We also work with campuses, hospitals, sports venues, anywhere there's a lot of people moving about. We help design programs that get them from point A to point B. Wow, love it. So I, am a huge, uh, I have a huge passion for wayfinding because again, nobody likes to feel lost. Yes. And I love yes. helping people find their way. So that's what uh, the business in Cleveland does. And I started out as a designer. I went to school for visual communication design and uh, started out as a practitioner. And what was really interesting was I was only a few years in and I had a, built a really strong team around me mm-hmm. and realized sooner rather than later that I loved the business end of things more and immersed myself more in building a business than I did in the craft. So I okay, just hired so more more talent around yeah, me. Yeah,
0: because you're talking about, and I was asked this question on Friday, actually, funny enough, and, and I, I, I get it. A lot of people still struggle to understand the difference between running your business and working in your business. Yes. Yeah, right, there, there are two things. And the best way that I've been able to figure out how to describe it is doing the work. Like actually doing the client work, like sitting down, crafting, creating, delivering, researching—that's working in your business. Okay, yep. doing what you're doing now with me or in other areas, like growing your business, doing you know proposals or expanding your networks or looking at that big vision strategy—that's working on your business. Exactly. Yeah, but that's a hard thing for a lot of people to understand. They can't, or they can't separate the two, or they do just one or just the other.
1: Right, and yeah. especially for I think creative folks. They go into the owning a business because they want to be able to express themselves creatively. And I did like that part, but I started using the other side of my brain and found that that was a stronger suit for me and really enjoyed learning everything I could about what it takes to run a successful business. Even when I was small, I had a 160 page standard operating procedure manual. Like I was ridiculous (laughs) about building a scalable business from a very early time.
0: But systems are important. So you knew that. Yeah. And, and systems are, are they something you would consider like your expertise?
1: They are one of one of my areas of expertise. I love systems because I believe that the more structure someone has, the more creative they can be within that structure. They're no longer, you know, how do we save this file? Where does this belong? How do we do this? The, all of that's already determined. Yeah and they can use that part of their brain to do very creative work inside those parameters or if they don't know you how to use those
0: part of that, that part of their brain or that's not their expertise then you can help teach them how to either find somebody that does or you can help them put those systems in place to do it exactly yeah i, I it's funny i just i just remember the first time you and i met that you had a slide with all of your personality type quizzes. Is oh, that yeah, right? Did yes. You, yes. <laughs> did you do the Enneagram? I haven't done it yet. Oh my gosh, I You have need to, to go do, do it. the Enneagram. Yeah. Yeah, because I, but I think that that's important because understanding where, how your brain processes information, it's just different for everybody. And looking at, there's lots of tools. And for those of you that wonder, I, I've worked with Lisa Foster in the past and she does a shine from your original design, which takes all different types of personality, um, assessments and combines them together. So you had how many, you have
1: like nine different ones. I've done dozens, (laughs) but, um, yeah, I've built a slide that shows something about how I've come together as this unique person. Yeah, And you mentioned earlier about confidence. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's a true story, especially as a woman, especially as a woman who started their company at age 25. I had a hard time finding my place in the world and doing all of those personality assessments, however um, powerful or trivial they might be on that spectrum gave me a collective picture of who I was as a unique individual and I started to embrace that and my confidence really mm. kind of grew out of knowing exactly who I was and what I brought into the world. I love that. Okay, so there was a big takeaway from for, for me that I never put into words
0: exactly like you just did, that those assessments also gave you the boost to know that you were doing things that you were meant to do. Exactly. Yeah. I yeah. love that a lot. That's a really good way to look at it because oftentimes people take these, you know, for whatever reason, they think, you know, it's going to help, you know, this part of their business or maybe they're floundering and they don't know what to do. So they take yeah. it to, to try to figure out, but
1: really it is just kind of like a, it's a, it's a reminder mm-hmm. of your skill set, right? The things that you're good at. It's funny. Cause I think although those personality tests, people come in and say, you know, they're not intended to be defining. And I'm like, there's nothing wrong with them being defining. And looking at a a number of them over a collective spectrum of who I am as that unique individual, I felt, I I found that to be very helpful in defining who I was and embracing who I was. And maybe we just don't explain it that way. Yeah. That's a
0: good way to look at it. I love that. Okay. So wayfinding, this is interesting, right? Because Are there a lot of, okay, so there's a lot of apps that I'm sure do that now, but not necessarily inside buildings, right? Inside structures, Mm -hmm. outside of structures, maybe, um, but I want to hear more about it. Like what were some of the bigger projects that you worked on that were like really interesting in wayfinding? Because I think that you're right. Nobody likes to be lost.
1: Yeah. So wayfinding is one of those funny professions that nobody realizes exists until they're lost. And they're like, who the hell put these signs up or lack thereof, right? Right. Um, so I'm in this really unique field where the better job we do, the, um, more people don't notice what we've done. Mm. Uh, but there's also an expression of brand, you know, it's part utility, part brand and expressing like, what is this place all about? Yeah. But I've always been attracted to this concept of wayfinding and helping people find their way. Um, and being able to have that point of orientation, where am I now and, and where am I trying to get to? So To me, it's this really kind of magical behind-the-scenes industry that nobody thinks about. But um, what I want to share is that I've taken those exact same tools of wayfinding and what I did in this very pragmatic profession of helping people navigate complex built environments, and I've actually adopted it to the entrepreneur mindset. And how does an entrepreneur who sometimes feels lost on their journey reorient and find their way again well it's not sometimes feels lost it's a lot of times feels <laughs> a lot lost lot of time. a lot of times feels yeah, lost it's not uncommon it's not uncommon <laughs> yeah. which people by the way don't know about entrepreneurs I think that uh there's there's so much um kind of mysticism around how am- amazing it is to be an entrepreneur and it's really hard work and it's very tough and can be very isolating at times and It is up to that one visionary to set the course for where this team's going. And it can, it can feel very alone. So I love being able to adapt those tools and helping entrepreneurs find their way.
0: Yeah. That's, I think that that's a really good point. And I appreciate you sharing that because I myself find, <laughs> find it very difficult at times. In fact, that was the whole reason why I wanted to bring this podcast and voices like yours forward is because this journey is not easy. It's not what people think it is. It's, no. I mean, I know being an entrepreneur is a trendy term, but basically running a business is no joke. It's not, and it's not always fun. In fact, it's more not fun than it's fun. <laughs> right. But there are pros and cons that come along with that. Like for you, you were able to start young and grow up and learn so much about that process along the way. So we, we still need to go back to talking about wayfinding. I want to hear some of your most interesting
2: Oh yeah. Interesting with. projects. Yeah.
0: Because I, I, I'm only thinking of signage. So you're going to have to like correct my brain. I'm only thinking of signage. I'm yeah. thinking of like different places that I've been that are large to navigate like zoos or like right now you can go to see the botanic gardens, right? And, and mm-hmm. we're located in Denver and it's absolutely beautiful, but That's they
1: are very specific in how they move crowds. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So um, my favorite projects tend to be city projects because they have the most impact. Yeah. So and they also have a very strong brand component because you're communicating what this place is all about to people who may be first time visitors. Right. Uh, I've worked with a lot of different cities over the years. I think I think we're up beyond 80 different municipalities that we've worked with at Guide Studio. And each one is unique, but the principles and the psychology behind it are very much the same. And that's one of my passions about wayfinding is that there's a very pragmatic, logical... A constructive piece about wayfinding but then there's this creative and psychology piece about how people look for information in different kinds of environment and wayfinding to your point is not just about science, it's about all kinds of visual clues and experience, it's about the experience it's and I, and I experience. have to bring up Ikea yeah, because to me
0: it's the first time that I actually really experienced being purposefully directed to yeah. where they wanted me to go, not where I wanted to go, <laughs> but they do an interesting job of how they take, and not always good, how they take people through into different areas, but if you're paying attention, you'll see that they're giving you an experience. They're moving you in a specific way so you can have a certain experience. Is that
1: a part of what? 100%. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, um, it wasn't too long ago that our profession changed its name from environmental graphic design to experiential graphic design. Oh, okay. Because what we do is create experiences. So we're designing from start to finish how people are interfacing with a particular place. Yeah. And that can come in the form of landscape architecture, architecture, um, interior design, anything that, and and, and even those uh, interactive experiences, you know, interfacing with a kiosk, for example, is a part of that experience. So looking at the whole picture mm-hmm. about how people are using technology and physical assets to create their space and understand where they are and how they're kind of interfacing with the things around them.
0: Yeah. And is that some of that
1: includes some of those large touch
0: screens you see when you're going into places. Now I can't remember where I was. I think I was at a medical center and when you walked in, it's just this massive screen and I was with my parents and one of them was like, what, what, where do we go? And I'm like, just touch the screen. I'm like, what do you mean? I'm like, no, no, like put your finger on the screen. It's going to tell you where to go. Yeah. But I think that that's, that's combining technology with experience,
1: right? It it does. And it's really interesting how people, um, how people retain information. So we think about things in terms of 5 or 10 or 15-minute walks or a certain number of directions that people can retain before they need a reminder about some new directions Mm -hmm. to get to where they're going. So all of that plays into how technology is used to make sure it's still got that human element because we can't remember all of the directions so we need some reminders along the way.
0: Yeah, I like that a lot.
1: So you you worked in wayfinding
0: until you realized you loved the actual part of being the visionary of your business. So yeah. You liked working on the business, not in the business. So you did you put people in place so you could focus more on the bigger picture?
1: Yeah, and you know I was lucky because I've got this incredible team and I found some terrific people early on in my career. Um, I'll give myself a little bit of credit because I think I was, I did a great job growing them, building Mm. their own confidence and skill sets and giving them opportunities to grow within a small, small organization where they didn't feel like they hit a ceiling, but always had more uh, professional growth opportunities. Um, it was about two years ago that I put in place a system called the entrepreneurial operating system or EOS, And that was one of the catalysts that allowed me to build my leadership team to the point where I could exit my business. So I actually still own that business in Cleveland, uh, but I've moved here to Denver and no longer operate. That company, I've got a president and leadership team in place. So I'm smiling
0: because you are a very rare breed. I, I I will give you not just a little credit, a lot of credit that you had the foresight. I mean, this is a true visionary move to make. You had the foresight to say, okay, I'm going to step out of my business. Now I need to plan two years ahead of what that's going to, or however many years you knew it was going to take a while, you know, it wasn't going to happen overnight. Mm-hmm. And you planned ahead and put the systems in place so you could step away, still own the business business and then find ways to change your, do something new on your journey.
1: I did some big new things on my journey.
0: Yeah. I know it's um, amazing, but that's a, I'll give you kudos. Cause that is not an easy path. I mean, people ask me all the time, what's your exit strategy? And I'm like, holy God, I, I only have a 2019 strategy. <laughs> I'm too new to be thinking that I don't want to exit not for a while, but it's something that people have to think about along the path.
1: Well, I, you know, I think as a serial entrepreneur, I've always been future oriented and thinking about Mm -hmm. what are the next things ahead for me. Uh, One of my most catalytic moments was doing an exercise called a painted picture. And I looked three years out and realized, holy cow, my painted picture of what I want for my own future is pretty radically different from where I am today. And it involved me moving from Ohio to the mountains and sunshine of Colorado, yeah.
0: which is a great place to which be is by a the way. Oh, actually, no. Wait, correction. It's really bad. You no, nobody. Come. You don't
1: don't live, If you don't live in the state, it's really <laughs> terrible. You don't need to come try. <laughs> so, I've um, I was very methodical in building up my team, putting all the systems in mm-hmm. place, uh, making sure that the vision was understood by everyone in my organization, and uh, slowly moving myself out of the business so that they could run it on their own. And and part of the move was intentional that. If I was still in Cleveland, I'd probably meddle too much. Yeah, it'd be hard not to. That's
0: what I mean. It's it's, yeah. it's really unique that you are able to do this. It must be difficult at times.
1: Um, I, there are times, absolutely. But I, I feel like I'm still involved because my all of our roles are very clear. My role is as visionary and over finance. And mm-hmm. so when I come into the meetings and uh, quarterly planning sessions, I know exactly what my perspective should be and how I can contribute best to the organization. So I still own that company. I still get a paycheck from that company, but I have this fantastic team who is confident in their journey forward and knows exactly where we're trying to go. And is doing a really great job of getting there.
0: I hope your team knows and appreciates how fortunate they are to be able to work under a leader like you, because they're learning lessons that it takes a lot of people a long time to learn.
1: Thank you. Yes. Um, You know, it sounds silly, but one of the strongest orientation devices that we use that I think help us get there were our core values. Mm -hmm. And our number one core value is ego-free. Now, I work with creative people, and creative people are very much about (laughs) self-expression, and they do get very emotionally tied to their work. And yet, we've asked them to separate and do work on behalf of the clients and to solve a strategic problem. Mm -hmm. And... It's really hard to find great people that kind of fit that particular core value, Mm. but it works. And part of, I think, why I was able to separate from the firm is that I didn't have my own ego wrapped up in it. And I have always been a great listener to the contributors around me, and they've been as much a part of growing the business as I have.
0: Okay, so let me ask you this question, because I think a lot of people, especially business owners and entrepreneurs that are listening, might wonder, like, wow, how did you, like, get to that place? Because you're talking about really looking at your business like your business, not your baby. Yeah. And, right? And, and how do we take the baby out of business? I mean, how, how does that work?
1: Uh, I wouldn't say that's something that happened overnight. That's yeah. for sure. It was really an evolution of realizing what makes a great business a great business. And putting those pieces in place and allowing everyone around me to have a voice and make sure that they understood a clear connection between the work they were doing and the impact they were making in the business. And again, separating myself out of it and just not putting my name on the door, not putting my face you know, front and center on that website and allowing that business to be its own entity. And really after 21 years, you know what I mean? It, it's a grown up. Yeah, we had our our drinking anniversary last year. Yeah, so it's a grown up business. It's mature enough that, and I think I've matured enough that I can make that separation a reality.
0: Yeah. Well, again, I I really I really love that so much because I think that. Um, I think that business owners, in fact, I know several business owners who have owned their business for a long time, and they' it, it is one hundred percent wrapped up in their ego, and not in a bad way, mm-hmm. but only in a way that that's all that's the only way they know that how to identify with themselves. So you, it's not just about the business becoming your grown up, but you were able to establish yourself as a person and as a woman yeah. outside of just being you know tied into this initiative. How I mean, personally, how did you manage that?
1: Um, well, you have to allow other people around you to make mistakes.
0: Yeah.
1: And, uh, you know, one of the things I haven't pointed out yet, but I have a wi- all women leadership team. Oh my gosh. And, yay! Yay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. And, and it wasn't by design so much a circumstance, but maybe a little design yeah. in the background. Yeah. And I have this phenomenal uh, group of women leaders who um, I just trust, and I even trust their mistakes. So, when something goes wrong if if they've learned from it, they've grown from it, they know how to course correct, they can admit that those things aren't working you know early on. I went through all that too. I was there, I started this business, I had no clue what I was doing, so I get it, and I think that all of them have the level of passion and commitment to the business, and they're working the hours and they're 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 living the stress right yeah they're living the stress yeah so they they don't have that ownership stake but the mentality is that they have that ownership stake and they really feel it that's hard to cultivate yeah no doubt That is hard to cultivate. Then that's,
0: again, that, that just shows to the uniqueness of your success because, um, well, first of all, yay, women leaders. I, I know that. you have, you have fostered a whole bunch of yous out there. <laughs> I mean, that's amazing. So what happens if you, if you, if you have staff changeover, I mean, is that, is that a rough thing or do you not experience a lot of staff changeover?
1: Um, I've been fortunate so far in the journey that, um, We've had little turnover, and the turnover we've had was kind of at the right time for the right reasons. Uh, That core leadership team has been with me a long time. In fact, my very first employee, Gina, is still with me. Yeah. And, um, you know, I I think because, again, I've given them growth opportunities, I've given them uh, financial incentive opportunities, and I've I've done what I can to ensure that they feel like this is something they can continue to commit to and grow from and, and not be too attracted to other things that might be out there in the world.
0: Well, it's it's one of the biggest topics in large companies is how do you maintain, it's not how you, how are you going to maintain your clientele? It should be how you maintain your staff. Yeah. Like how do you treat your team and your employees? Because, you know, if you foster and create an environment where your employees care about your business as much as you do, you then have those people representing you to your clients. And it's night and day. And I think that that approach is... Oh, it's beautiful.
1: Yeah. So you and they do the, cool stuff. I mean, they, they, they do. do they do <laughs> such good work. Like, I can't even tell you how proud I am. I love My it. My very favorite day of every quarter is we do a quarterly project review. So anything that's closed over that past quarter, um, we go through and share with the whole team so everybody can see what's going on, and we talk about like you know what worked, what didn't work, what were the biggest like lessons learned and successes that came out of it. And it is my favorite day because I am consistently impressed by what they turn out and the thinking that goes on behind it. And I, I've had nothing to do with it now. I'm, I'm not involved in those projects. Well, I didn't wait, even find wait those a
0: But you did. You fostered. You fostered the environment. You True. created and fostered this environment where these employees can go and be creative. Yeah. So, you know, you, you you get you get a little bit of that. You don't get credit for their creativity, but you get credit for creating an opportunity for them to come together and make that great work.
1: Yeah. It, you know, it's, it's the same philosophy I have with my son. My job is not to raise a kid. My job is to raise a great adult. Yeah. And I think that's what I did in my business is I raised people to be really fantastic, mature design strategists, and they embraced it. And so, yeah, there's growing pains along the way. We all experience that, but, but I, I, Looked at the end and said, "What is the outcome that we need to be aiming for here?" So, what are some of the first steps for
0: companies like mine that are, you know, on the cusp of preparing to scale? Which means knowing that a team environment is the only way that you're going to be able to replicate um, your business model to reach where you really want to go. Like, what are some first steps and advice that you have for businesses that are looking to start their teams? How can you start it right the, the, from the onset?
1: Yeah. Um, So I'll go back to wayfinding for a second. It's about knowing your destination. Mm. Um, My favorite quote from Alice in Wonderland is the Cheshire Cat. If you don't know where you're going, any road will get you there, right? So knowing what the outcome is, where are you heading as a business, and designing toward that end is really crucial in those first stages. Um, Second, and more difficult than that, is finding your awesome number two. And I found an incredible number two in um my president now, Kathy. And while we're very different people, we work together for so long, we have some of the same thinking and then some of the right creative tension to make that work. And uh she's got all the confidence and skill set and knowledge she needs to to take it to the next level. And I think a lot of women, particularly in business, don't have that great number two. And I think too often they're looking for mirrors of themselves and really some of those differences are the juiciest part. And that's you
0: talking about ego. That's ego, because how many how many people are afraid to hire someone smarter than themselves? Oh yeah, I mean this is a thing. You 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 people feel uncomfortable. I would rather hire somebody smarter than me because they're, I'm not good at everything. I can be well. Wait, correction. I can be good at everything. I'm not great at everything. Yeah. I'm good at this particular chunk over here. But there's lots of stuff over here that I mean I I, I don't really consider myself a creative. I'm just my brain works more on business than creativity and. I know that when I need those pieces filled, it, it shouldn't come from me. So finding someone that's like me means
1: that they're not going to have those skills either. That's a problem. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I'm going to give my dad credit on that one. He always said, uh, surround yourself with people smarter than you. Oh, I, smart dad. Smart dad. I did that early on. I I always surrounded myself with people that were more talented or had stronger skills in particular areas than I did. And part of it's knowing where I am strong, yeah. but... Finding people that can bring that full set of skills to the table and that you complement each other and embracing the tension that comes with that. Yeah, knowing that that different those differences are where the the good stuff really lies.
0: Yeah, I really like that because it isn't it isn't smooth. They're not going to be your best friend. People, you can you you really cannot hire your number two and expect they're going to be your best friend. They need to be your biggest challenger and your most loyal employee. But it doesn't mean you're always going to be on the same page. That is totally true. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't have said it better. That's exactly <laughs> it. Clearly, I know what's coming next. Right, yeah. I'm there. I'm in that stage right now because yeah. I'm thinking about that a lot, and so I I can relate. But I think it's important for, for people to think about that. No matter where they're at in their business. And the ego is just such a big part of that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, you gotta overcome it.
0: So how do you, so how, okay, let's talk practicality here. If you're a business owner and you know, you feel that you're the be all end all, that you're, you sit in the zone of, well, I'm the only person that can do this. I'm the only person that can do it this way. This, this is me. This is my jam. This is what I'm good at. I'm going to hire people to support me to be my business. I mean, then what? Then they just get comfortable being a solopreneur.
1: (laughs) Well, there's an option. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I think most of us, not all, but uh, most of us that start our own businesses are visionaries. Mm. And we we see the future. We see the the gap and how we, we think the ideal futures should look. And because of that, we tend to think that we know all the little steps and pieces that need to fit in along the way. And the reality is if we can embrace the fact that we're visionaries and that our job is to paint that picture and get everybody excited about being on board to make that vision a reality then our work is largely done. It's up to the people around us that we trust to make that happen. So they're more of the implementers. They're the ones that are actually executioners and making all that day-to-day happen. And we've got to step back and continue to come up with all the cool ideas, but allow them to do their best work again, difference between working in your business and on your business. Precisely.
0: And if people do that for themselves, they might be very comfortable being a solopreneur. I mean, that might be their main objective and they're happy in that. And that's great because there's room for all kinds of businesses. There's like literally no caps. The sky's the limit. Yeah, and You can you can do it any which way you want. But if you're creating a company to scale and one day have some type of exit available to you and, and leave a legacy behind because that's what you've done. This is yeah. You've created a, le- a legacy, not just in your business, but with all these people that you've impacted in your leadership style
1: yeah and the one thing that's really not scalable is a human being yeah and so you are one person if you want to achieve your vision and grow your company you've got to step back and allow others to be a part of that so we our capacity is limited there's going to come a, a point where we either break or give up or just become overwhelmed and so we've got to let others on our bus and let them do their best work to help us get there
0: This is so smart. I hope people are taking notes. This is great. (laughs) It's really great. I had someone tell me last week, You're going to find this very interesting. I had someone tell me last week that my time is almost sold out. She said, then what? And I'm like, oh, that's why I'm, I'm, I'm asking you these questions because I'm in that stage right now where I have to think, I really have to think about that. Um, And that's where burnout happens. If you think that you're not sold out and you really are sold out of time, meaning you still, I know that I need eight hours of sleep at night. That's just me. I work out a lot, train a lot, as you know, and I work my body pretty hard, so I need sleep. And if I account time for my kids and times for my family and time to read and and for personal growth, pretty much every other minute is spent on my business.
1: Yeah. And it's full. Well, you you said it in the right order because I think not enough entrepreneurs do what you just said, which is design your life first. Yeah. So figure out what you need out of your life. Where do you want to spend your time? What gives you the most value? Where do you give the most value back? And work on designing the ultimate life first. And then figure out how your business is going to serve you. Nobody wants to be at the end of their life and be like, wow, I really worked hard. Yeah. You know, we, of course we want to work mm-hmm. hard, but we don't want that to be what our life was really kind of all about. So designing your life before you design your business, I think is the way to think about it. And then designing your business to serve that. And a lot of entrepreneurs do want to get to where I am, where they're not operating their business anymore. Certainly you got to put in some hard time before you can get there, yeah. but, um, If you design that early on, you can start moving in that direction with a lot of intention and again, relying on those amazing people around you to help make that happen. Wise words, my friend, wise yeah, words. <laughs> and I, I mean, a team can be a variety of things. Like for me right
0: now, it's, it's a lot of mentors, um, you know, contract staff, people that are helping me along the path until I'm ready for that first and second, you know, FTEs to come on board. Uh, I think that, th- I think that that matters a lot. There's no one person that builds an empire. No. Right. And that's, that's, but that's a learning lesson that comes with wisdom. You may not have known that when you were the first year of your business. Maybe not. Maybe you did.
1: Yeah. Well, I, I did not. Yeah. You know, I was 25. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of things you didn't know then. I didn't you know, know no a I'm lot. Sure. Yeah. yeah. It's been a, it's been a remarkable journey. But, um, once, once I, you know, got determined I wanted to grow my business, I grew my business. Yeah. Once I determined I wanted to X my business in a particular way. I methodically made that happen. There's some patience involved, absolutely. Mm, but intention. But intention was the key.
2: Mm.
0: So tell me a little bit about you in, in the meantime. So you were running and growing this business, and you have a kid, right? How yeah. old? Uh, he's a freshman in high school. He's 15. Okay. His name Simon. Okay. And are you married? I am. You're married. Okay. And why did you choose Colorado? Why why to relocate here? Oh, uh, it's gorgeous. I know it is, really.
1: So... You know, we're an outdoor family. We're backpackers, hikers, skiers, and we've always been attracted to the mountains. Uh, I will say also the 100 days bonus sun that we get over Cleveland is a little bit of an attraction too. Well, yeah, because yeah, Colorado, we, they say
0: on average, we have 300 days of sun in this state per year. Yeah. People, if you don't realize how much of a boost that is for your morale, that is a big thing. Like I could never imagine living in a state like Seattle where it rains that many yeah. days of the year. I think, I mean, I just think it would impact my psyche. Maybe it's because I was it raised It does impact here, so. your psyche.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's hard to wake up every day with A lot of energy when every day is a little bit gray out. Yeah. Um, So you know, I've been here since July, and I'm still waking up and you know declaring, "Oh my gosh, it's sunny out!" (laughs) You're like, "I love this beautiful state. It's pretty fantastic." And uh, you know, like I said, we're we're big outdoors people, so I'm spending as much time as I can soaking it all in. Amazing. And 15 is a good age to
0: relocate a child. I'm sure he's settled in well. I mean, there's, I know we we won't say, but I know what area you're in and it's a really nice area of the state and, and, you know, it's definitely good schools and lots of activities and, you know, the best of the both worlds. And I raised my kids as city kids, but they still have access to the mountains so easily that they're getting, they really are getting the best of both worlds.
1: Well, it's, it's not by error. Um, If you haven't figured out, I'm pretty methodical in my planning. I'm a a big strategist. Yep. Um, so in designing, you know, what does it look like, my three-year painted picture, how, how is this all going to come to fruition? There was a lot of intentionality about moving during his transition from middle school to high school. Wow. And it worked out brilliantly. He, he walked in the doors of that high school and just made dozens of friends, and he's so happy. love it. Found his place there. It's great. Okay, so you've said a few times this
0: three-year picture. Do you actually paint a picture?
1: Um, well, with words. Yes. And And it's an exercise. Tell Kay, tell tell me that exercise. Let's, let's hear it. Um, So it's an exercise I use with my clients too. I call it destination design. And I, there's two parts to it. One is, like I said, design your life first. So where are you living? What's your environment like? How old are you at this, you know, future state? Uh, How many kids do you have? What are vacations that you've recently took? What do you do for a hobby? It's like time hopping. You're time hopping to three years and saying, what's going on right then? Exactly. And and being very vivid about what are the elements that make that a reality. And the idea is it's got to be so compelling and exciting that you're like, yeah, I'm going to do whatever it takes to get there because that is exactly what I want out of my life. And then you reverse engineer your business to do that. So... What's your business look like? How big is it? Where is it located? How many team members do you have? Do you have a leadership team? What's your revenue? All of those questions. But that should be in service to your life. And once I did that exercise, it was so, like I said, compelling and so real to me. I was going to do whatever it took to get there. Yeah. And I had time. I really took all those steps that were needed to get there. But... I got there.
0: Yeah.
2: yeah.
1: You didn't you definitely didn't rush. And I
0: and I think that that's why I brought up at the very beginning when we first started talking is that what people see in the success of who you are now it's been how many years. It has Been since what? Since you started your business. Oh, it's been 21. Okay, so 21 years, Mm -hmm. right? This stuff doesn't happen overnight. So patience matters, a Mm -hmm. and b. Having that vision, knowing where you're going to go, and then you know those are there's going to be stepping stones. Your three year picture that you're talking about for me is is mid plan. Three years is still mid plan for me because I know it's going to take time. Where. I want to be in 10 years, totally different story than three years. But three years is just a, pan, a, a step along the way. But asking yourself that, do you like write it down on a piece of paper? Do you type it? Like what is your actual? Oh, nothing, hands
1: on? nothing manifests till you write it down. You have to yeah. write things down. Yeah. yeah. And and I think 10 years is difficult. You know, it is difficult. Yeah. You can put a couple of ideas on what 10 years looks like, but the world is changing so rapidly. Mm. It's hard to be very concrete about it. Uh, as a point of comparison that I always reference, The iPhone only came out, I think, 11 years ago. And think about how much everything in our world has changed in 11 years. Are you kidding? I'm not kidding. Oh, my gosh. So, I mean, everything about how we communicate, how we access information, everything is different now. So, to think 10 years out is pretty challenging. But, you know, kind of sketching that out and then getting concrete on that three-year, because three years you can kind of, yeah, three
0: years like, is good. Yeah. Cause I even feel like one year is hard. I, I just finished. Well, last month I was finishing all of my planning for 2019 and, and it looks, it's good. It's achievable. I took the high level goals and broke them down into steps and then broke them down into months and then into weeks. So I start each month knowing what I need to do that month to get those goals at the end of the year. That that's a big stretch for a lot of people to do that. I think the three year part well, that's interesting because that must guide your next couple of years when you're at those yearly planning stages because
1: how do you know what three years is going to look like if you don't back it up? you got to back it up. Yeah, you start with three, but you break it down to one, then you break it down to quarter, then you break it down to month. Yeah. Then you're like, what do I do today?
0: Yeah, then it's so easy to answer that. that question. Yeah. yeah. Well, and of course, if you listen to my podcast, what I say you do today is keep your telephone off, keep your phone, or I should say, smartphone telephone. People think the wall. Um, <laughs> you keep your smartphone off. You keep it turned off. You keep your notifications off, and you have to be able to focus and flow. Yeah. It's so, one of the most. It's one of the most underutilized personal growth strategies that I believe in, and honestly, I, I tell people that I live a notification free life. Ooh I do. One hundred percent of the You are a great time. model for this. I'm gonna to have to get some tips yeah. from you. One hundred percent of the time. There's two only two rules that I have with my phone, and that is that I have programmed both of my children's numbers in a way that if they call, no matter what, it'll break through my silent mode. Mm-hmm. They know to only call if it's an emergency. Right. The rest of it, what, what texts are they going to send me that I need to hear right now? Yeah. You know what, if I'm in the middle of doing something really important for my work, what's so important that I, I need to get a Facebook notification? There's just, there's nothing that matters so much to me to interrupt the goals that I want to achieve. I love that. I started, it's almost been about a year. I've li- almost lived a year notification free. Wow. It's a different way of life. Good for you. <laughs> That's outstanding. It is it is really amazing. In fact, yesterday my daughter and I we were at one of our friends' baby shower and she had her phone in her pocket and it kept vibrating. I'm like, "Oh, that would drive me bonkers." Yeah. I did a podcast on this topic and I gave the example of imagine if you're sitting at your desk wherever you're working and you're just sitting typing away And every two minutes somebody comes up and taps you on the shoulder and says, Hey, you want to hear a joke? Or says, Hey, I got a question for you. Or Hey, cool, cool tats. If every two seconds somebody tapped on your shoulder, you would get nothing. Better. Oh, no. But that's what your phone does. How do, how do people yeah. not understand that your phone does the exact same thing? It takes you out of that deep state and puts you on the surface level. Mm-hmm. And anyway, I, I, it's a big thing for me. It's changed my life. And I, I find myself talking about the notification-free life I, a lot.
1: I love that phrase. That's, that's awesome. Because I love the flow state. Yeah, me too. When you can achieve flow state oh. and you're just so deep in the work that time is invisible. Like, ah. Oh. Gosh, you get so much done. It feels so good. You know, yes. you're doing exactly what you're supposed to be doing in those moments.
0: See, this is, this is that, this is the thing, right? This, yeah. this is the part of the journey that I've loved the most is learning stuff like that because you forget in the busyness of life and you can create flow state. Even if you're surrounded by a hundred people in a busy office, you can do it, mm-hmm. but where your focus is and how you intentionally allow that, um, you know, it means not taking phone calls. I, I say, I don't take phone calls. I make phone calls. You know, there's no big deal for me to return a phone call. I don't take them. And, and that's, that's not in any way, shape or form a reflection of the dedication of the people I want to speak to. It's the dedication to the goals that I have set yeah. in front of me.
1: One of the things um, I did uh, several years ago now that I was a game changer for me mm. was what I call guilt free absences. Mm. And I started working remotely every single Tuesday, non-negotiable, no meetings, no phone calls, no email, I'm going to go work on the stuff that's really hard to do during the course of normal, you know, so-called workday. We don't have blocks of hours where we can work on the hard stuff, the strategy, the planning, the finances, sometimes Mm -hmm. that stuff that takes your deep concentration. And I was doing a lot more writing. I actually started writing a book in those days Mm -hmm. and I had a full day dedicated to whatever I needed to do to get myself into that flow state And those were three times more productive than any other day of the week.
0: That's amazing. I
1: loved them. You still do that now? Well, now I don't have to do them as much because I don't work in an office or have my team nearby. But uh, I I definitely love working in coffee shops where other people are working and there's kind of that nice uh, audible Like low hum, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I get, a, those are the days I get the most done is when I'm actually working amongst other people. It's the alone together.
0: Yeah. Cause it's energy. You're, yeah. you're feeling and creating an energy and a vibe. So, okay. So. This is amazing, by the way. Thank you. You are sharing really good information. Your example of um, how to intentionally create a life for yourself and how to put systems in place and how to recognize whether you're working in or on your business and what matters to you, Mm -hmm. I think is really critical. And I appreciate that so much. Um, So what's next for you? What are you working on?
1: So now I have a new business that I call Rachel Downey Business Guide. And it's interesting. I've taken what I've done um, as a guide studio and being a wayfinding consultant all these years, and I'm applying it to helping other entrepreneurs find their way. So I work with that um, entrepreneurial operating system, and I'm, I'm an EOS implementer, I'm a trainer. I do coaching and consulting and retreat facilitation and really help other business owners achieve what they most want out of their business. Mm-hmm. Um, Oftentimes it's what I've been able to accomplish, but a lot of times their goals are very, very different. And I help them articulate and visualize exactly what those are
0: and help them get there. Wayfinding for entrepreneurs. Exactly. Yeah, it's really amazing. And so, if you guys are interested in learning more about Rachel and all the great stuff that she does, listeners, please follow up with her and and, and ask her questions because I know her to be a very generous soul and and she'll answer questions that you have. Love to. Yeah, because this is such a really interesting topic. And I know that so many people struggle with a lot about what we're talking about. And so,
1: how can people find you? What did you mention your website was? My website is rachelbizguide.com, B I Z. Um, and I have a Facebook page for Wayward Entrepreneurs. Um, and then I would welcome emails as well. And it's Rachel at guide studio.com. Great. And we will include those in the show notes too, for any of our
0: listeners that want to reach out to you, but I just have to say, thank you. I think you're an amazing, um, you know, businesswoman. You're an amazing change maker. You set intentions well. And I, for one, I'm really glad to have met you. And oh, I, ditto. thank you. I love, I just love so much about the philosophy of how you've created your life that I, you know, I want to learn more from you. And I know that a lot of our guests will. So them. Mm-hmm. Listeners, just stay tuned because I know that we are going to have Rachel back again. There's I hope so. So many things to talk about because we could take each one of these topics and slice them into a
1: whole conversation. Wouldn't that be amazing? That would be very cool. Thank you for having me. This has been really fun. Yeah,
0: it's fun. And Denver, and welcome to Denver. Oh, you thank know, you.
1: I, I love that you're here.
0: And you know, I've offered before. If you need any tour guides, although I'm pretty sure you guys are finding all the amazing places on your own. But if you know, if you ever need that, like, woman, like I need to go find a spa and a <laughs> chocolate shop there I'm I'm your girl I can <laughs> I love it <laughs> <laughs> thank you so excited to have you with me and my last question for you is what percentage of grit and grace are you
1: well I have to say that being a native clevelander I'm really proud of my grit mm. to me that means tenacity and perseverance and I've got a lot of that but I've talked about being ego free mm. and how much that's been a part of my journey and that's also a really important component So I'm going to have to go 40 grit, 60 grace. I love it. That's amazing. Yay! I strive for 50, 50 most of the time. It's not
0: always possible. It depends on the day, right? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, thank you again. And I look forward to spending more time with you on this podcast. I know that there's lots of things that we can talk about. I really appreciate you being with us. Thank you again. I really appreciate being here with you and my friends
2: go be fierce.